You are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I am reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to discuss today's readings, I invite you to head on over to Facebook, and there you'll find the Mystical City of God in your podcast group page, and you'll be able to share your own thoughts and insights with others who are listening and following along. If you'd like to support this free podcast, you can do so by sending a tip through Venmo to the handle Mystical City of God. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example in holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir a flame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 335. We are reading from volume 4, book 8, chapter 6, paragraphs 496 to 504. 496. On the last of the ten days, St. Peter celebrated the other Mass, and all received Holy Communion as in the first. Then all being gathered in the name of the Lord, they invoked the Holy Ghost and began to consult about the solution of the difficulties that had arisen in the church. St. Peter, as the head and the high priest, spoke first, then St. Paul and Barnaby, and St. James the less, as is related by St. Luke in the 15th chapter of the Acts. The first decision of this council was that the exact law of the circumcision and the law of Moses should not be imposed upon the baptized, since eternal salvation was given through baptism and faith in Christ. Although St. Luke principally mentions only this decision, yet there were others, which defined certain matters concerning the government and the ceremonies of the church in order to stop some abuses introduced by the indiscreet piety of some of the faithful. This is held to be the first council of the apostles, although they had also gathered to establish the credo and other things as mentioned before. However, at that, the apostles had convened, whereas now also those disciples took part who could come. Also, the manner of conferring and of resolving was different being a formal decision, as is clear from the words of St. Luke. It has seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us, etc. Luke 15.28, 4.97. Couched in these terms, the decisions of the council was sent by the letter to the faithful and to the churches of Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, and they remitted these letters through the hands of St. Paul and Barnaby and of other disciples. In order that the approbation of the Lord might not be wanting, it happened that both in the Senecal at coming to their decision and in Antioch, when the letters were read before the faithful, the Holy Ghost descended in visible fire, so that all the faithful were consoled and confirmed in the Catholic truth. The Most Holy Mary gave thanks to the Lord for the blessings thus bestowed upon the church. She immediately dispatched St. Paul and Barnaby with the rest, and for their consolation, she gave them as relics part of the clothes of Christ our Lord and some objects she still had left of the Passion. Offering them her protection and prayer, she sent them, filled with new consolation and spiritual force, upon the labor still awaiting them, 
during all these days of the council on account of the terror with which Most Holy Mary had inspired him. Lucifer and his ministers could not come near the cenacle. Yet they prowled about in the distance without being able to execute any of their malice against its members. Happy age and fortunate congregation. 498. Since, in spite of his continual prowling about the queen and his roarings as of hungry lion, Lucifer saw that he could gain no advantage himself. He engaged some sorceress, with whom he had made an express pact, and persuaded them to attempt the life of Mary by magic means. These unhappy dupes tried it in several ways, but their enchantments were of no avail. Many times, when they purposely placed themselves in the way of the queen, they were struck dumb and motionless. The most blessed Mary, in her boundless charity, labored much to, to undeceive and convert them by kind words and deeds. But of the four, who were thus sent on by the demon, only one was converted and received baptism. And thus, all his attempts came to naught. Lucifer was so confused and enraged that he would many times have given up tempting the most blessed Mary if his unquenchable pride had permitted him. The Lord Almighty ordained all this in order that the victories and triumphs of his mother might be more glorious, as we shall see in the following chapter. Instruction which the Queen of the Angels, Most Holy Mary, gave me. 499. My daughter, in the constancy and invincible fortitude with which I vanquished the demons, thou hast one of the most urgent motives for persevering in grace and acquiring great crowns. The human nature and that of the angels, even though they be devils, are subject to contrary and opposite conditions. For the spiritual nature is indefatigable, and that of mortals, weak and so prone to fatigue, that it soon tires and succumbs to labor. As soon as it finds any difficulty in the practice of virtue, it is discouraged and turns back what it pursues with pleasure. On one day, it condemns the next. What seems agreeable today, it finds hard tomorrow. Now it wishes, then again it does not wish. Sometimes it is fervent, sometimes lukewarm. But the demon is never fatigued or weakened in his efforts at tempting souls. The Almighty, however, is not wanting in his providence, for he limits and restrains the power of the demons, so that they cannot pass the measure set for them, nor exert all their indefatigable powers for the persecution of souls. On the other hand, he supports the weakness of men, giving them grace and strength to resist and overcome their enemies on the prescribed battleground. 500. Hence the inconstancy of souls in virtuously maintaining their position during temptation and in not bearing with fortitude and patience the inconveniences of doing good and fighting against the demons is not excusable. The bent of passion drawing man toward the sensible and pleasurable suddenly presents itself across the path of duty and the demons with diabolical astuteness, seek to exaggerate the hardship and disagreeableness of mortification, representing it as dangerous to health and life. Thus he deludes innumerable souls to precipitate themselves from one abyss to another. In this thou hast before thy eyes, my daughter, a very common aberration of the worldly-minded, but which is very abominable in the sight of the Lord and myself. Hence it is that many men are weak, wavering and indisposed toward the practice of virtue or penitential mortification for their sins. And the very ones who are so weak in doing good are strong in doing evil. In the service of the devil they are constant and are ready to undergo much more difficult and arduous tasks in sinning than the law of God commands for the practice of virtue. They show themselves tardy and imbecile in the work of saving their souls, eager and strong to load upon themselves eternal damnation.
501. This damage also those who profess a life of perfection are wont in part to incur, if they unduly consider the hardships attached to such a life. Drawn into deception, they either hinder their advance in perfection or afford the devil many victories or temptations. In order that thou, my daughter, mayest not incur this danger, thou shouldst consider the fortitude and constancy with which I resisted Lucifer and all hell, and the magnanimity with which I despised his illusions and temptations, not permitting myself to be disturbed or to pay any attention to them. For this is the best way to overcome his haughty pride. Nor was I ever led by temptation to remissness in my labors in my exercises. But I augmented them, together with my prayers, petitions, and tears, as is necessary in the time of battle with those enemies. Hence I exhort thee to do the same and eager watchfulness, because thy temptations are not of the ordinary kind, but are directed against thee in a highest malice and astuteness. Of this I have warned thee many times, and this experience teaches thee. 502. Since thou hast noticed the great terror caused to the demons by perceiving the sacramental Lord resting in my bosom, I wish to call my attention to two things. First, that for the overthrow of hell and for the causing fear in the demons, all the holy sacraments of the church are most powerful means, but above all, the holy sacrament of the Eucharist. This was one of the hidden purposes of the Lord my Son in the institution of the sovereign mystery and of the other sacraments. If in our time men do not ordinarily feel these powerful effects, it is because in the frequency of the reception of the sacraments, much of the veneration and estimation in receiving them has been lost. But do not doubt that souls who frequent them with devotion and piety are formidable to the demons, and that they exercise great power and dominion over them in the same way as thou hast seen and described it of me. The explanation of this fact is that this divine fire in the pure souls finds itself, as it were, in its own element. In me it was active to the limit of possibility in a mere creature, and therefore I inspired such terror to the demons. 503. In further proof of what I said, I wish secondly to inform thee that these blessings were not to have an end with me, for in proportion God has brought the same effect in other souls. In our own times it has happened that in order to vanquish the demon, God showed and opposed to him a soul bearing within it sacramental species, and thereby so humiliated and annihilated the dragon that for many days he dared not approach the soul and begged the omnipotent not be, to be shown any soul bearing within it holy communion. On another occasion, Lucifer, in conjunction with some heretics and other bad Christians, schemed to do severe harm to these Spanish kingdoms. And if God had not cut them short through this same person, the whole of Spain would now be lost in the hands of the enemies. The divine clemency interfered for its defense by showing this person to the devil and his ministers after communion. In their terrors, the demons dropped their malicious designs for the immediate destruction of all of Spain. I will not tell thee who this person was, for it is not necessary, and I reveal this secret to thee for no other purpose than to show how favorably the Almighty looks upon a soul which tries to merit its favor and worthily receives him in holy communion, and how he manifests himself liberal and powerful not only to me on account of my dignity and sanctity of mother, but how he wishes also in other souls to be known and glorified as relieving the needs of the church according to time and occasion. 504. 
From this, thou wilt understand that in the same proportion as the demons fear the souls that worthily receive Holy Communion and other fortifying sacraments, so they exert all their powers to cause those souls to fall and to hinder them from accumulating all the strength of the Lord against them. Labor then against these tireless and astute enemies, and look to imitate me in fortitude. I desire also that thou hold in great veneration the councils of the church and all such gatherings and whatever is resolved and established by them. For the Holy Ghost assists at these councils, and he fulfills his promise that he will be with those who gather together in his name. Matthew 8.20 Hence what is thus ordained and commanded must be obeyed. Although in our times no visible signs of the assistance of the Holy Ghost occur in such councils, yet he does not fail to govern them invisibly. For signs and wonders are not any more so necessary as in the first beginnings of the church. Such as are necessary are not withheld by the Lord. For all these blessings exalt and praise his liberal kindness and mercy, and especially for those which he conferred on me during my mortal life. This concludes our reading today for day number 335. We've been reading from volume 4, book 8, chapter 6, paragraphs 496 to 504. Our reading began today with the 10th day mass, so they convened for 10 days, began with Mass, ended with Mass, and they receive Holy Communion. And then in our instruction today, Our Lady tells us what value it is for the soul to receive Holy Communion in a worthy manner. And what does that mean? Well, I think that, of course, means we first examine our conscience, that we ask ourselves, am I aware of any serious sins? Do I need to go to confession? Remember that St. Paul writes in his letter to the Corinthians that those who eat the body and blood of the Lord unworthily bring condemnation upon themselves. The promise of Jesus is, is that if we eat his body and blood, we will live forever. And that's the promise he wishes to keep. But it's up to us then to worthily receive his body and his blood in the Holy Eucharist. Worthily receiving the Holy Communion probably also, I think, would extend to how am I dressed when I come to church? What does it mean as I approach to receive? Do I do so, you know, in a very reverent fashion? All of these ways are considerations in our worthy reception of Holy Communion. And then think what God does. You are united with Jesus in the Holy Eucharist. You are one with him. Union. You are in communion with God. And as we heard in our reading, when we have that union with God fortified by the Holy Eucharist, well, then we are strengthened, especially against the evil one, that the evil one flees from us. So when we receive the Eucharist, and we do so on the weekend at Sunday Mass, but think about daily reception of Holy Communion, or maybe going once a week, or trying to receive the Lord more often, what good that does for your soul. The gift of the Holy Eucharist is Christ's gift to us. It's his gift to the church, and how blessed we are to be able to receive him worthily in Holy Communion. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, 
May God bless you and Mary pray for you.